Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to continue on here. Like I said, the last several weeks I've been teaching or introducing what I call intercessory life. I haven't really got to the actual prayer aspect because I've been talking about the need of courage and the need of having a good understanding of what it really means to enter into something called intercession, not just prayer, but again, to enter into a lifestyle where God can use you to literally change a person's life, and he can use you to change an entire city. I was thinking again the other day, you know, can the word says, can a nation be saved in a day? He asked that question. The reason he asked that question is because he wants you to think. Can a nation be saved in a day? And the answer is yes. Can you imagine beginning to think that big? You can't right now, can you? Most of you. But God wants you to have that, that ability to think that far, that he can save an entire nation in a day. We have no comprehension yet of what it's going to look like when the actual fullness of the manifestation of the Holy Ghost hits the city. Did you hear what I just said? When the Holy Ghost himself manifests, not just in a church service, but I mean when you have what's, I love one of the definitions of miracles. When you look it up, it says in one lexicon, it says explosions of almightiness. I like that. Can you imagine explosions of almightiness all over the streets of London? I can. Hallelujah. I, try, I'm a, I dream. I am a dreamer. And I try to dream. And I see things like that. And it's, I, God has always taught me to cultivate my imagination. And he wants you to cultivate your imagination too. You've got to see big because the world makes you see small. Amen? And you have to think bigger. That's why one of the slogans of this church from day one has been this is a place where you have permission to dream we want you to dream and we want you to dream big but back to this like i said intercessory life we're going to go back to i want you to turn to isaiah 50 first of all this wasn't what i was going to jump into at first but i just want to read something out of this isaiah 50 the thing is about prayer like i've been saying you have to understand that it, there is a thing called warfare remember i went through all the different uh, statements about like we wrestle not against flesh and blood you know we in, we earnestly contend for the faith you know you fight the good fight of faith all these verses the armor of God it all speaks to the fact that there is conflict in the Christian life and as I said last week a lot of people they don't want anything to do with conflict they come to church because they not they want nothing but peace and I understand that God is where you find peace but again, it is God's will that you grow up. How many of you think that's true? How many of you would like your, if you have children, how many of you would like your two-year-old to stay two years old for 20 years? The answer to that to any honest mother is no, because <laughs> they drive you crazy, to say the least. And we have a lot of people, actually the greater percentage of people in the body of Christ are still spiritual like toddlers, as it were. And all we're saying is, great, wherever you are, God loves you. But there does come a time when he will press you because he wants you to grow. He will stretch you. You, you need to be willing to be stretched. You know what I mean? In any given aspect of life. So if you're only looking for comfort, you're going to actually lose so much of what life is involved in. 
comfort. Anything that's birthed takes labor. Any pregnant women know about that. Anything that's birthed is preceded by labor. And so there's all manner of things that need to be birthed in your life, but it's going to take some persistence. It's going to take something called determination. And it's going to, you know, it's, it's just, it, that's just what it is. Anyway, Isaiah 50. I've got these adjustable glasses here that freak me out. They bend all these different ways. I want to start in verse 2. And um, just because there's this one verse, when I first got saved, this, this, this chapter was really something that God tattooed on my spirit. But again, Isaiah 50, verse 2 is when God says, he says, verse 2, Why, when I came, was there no man? And again, this is one of the basics of intercession that the Bible teaches. All through Scripture, it says God looked for a man, singular. In other words, he's saying that one person can change a whole lot of stuff. You hear me? It just takes one person who understands commitment to something, commitment to a prayer goal. Remember, a lot of people get involved, but involvement doesn't produce what commitment does. And so a lot of people, they want to be involved, and they'll be involved for a week or two. But really, when it comes to the things of God, for that matter, just God himself, he wants our full-on commitment. You hear me? He wants a commitment. Why, when I came, was there no man? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Now, I hope that you will look at those questions that God asked us and asked Israel and say, yes, we believe that your hand is still able to reach out and touch and grab and heal anything. And that, yes, he has the power to deliver. Amen? And he says, behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. He's trying to remind them of what who he really is. But, Behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink because there is no water and they die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with the blackness of murky storm clouds, and I make sackcloth of mourning their covering. The servant of the Lord says, and this is a scripture, I, like I said, when I first got saved, this in verse 7, I find, this is what was one of my daily confessions for I don't know how long. I still do, but let me read it. This is the Amplified, of course. It says, The servant of God says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of a disciple, the tongue of one who is taught, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. That's why I just prayed that over Scott and uh, Scott, over Sean and Michelle. That fact that they would have the tongue of a disciple. They'd have it in the King James says that I might have the tongue of the learned that I might have the tongue of the learned, that I might have a word to speak to them that are weary. Hallelujah. And that's something all of you can make your confession in your daily life. That's what you need, the tongue of the learned, so that you can help somebody. Anyhow, that I might have the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He wakens me morning by morning. And again, this should be a confession as well. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to a disciple as one who is taught. The Lord God has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious or turned backwards. Now, this is now it goes into like uh, really a, a messianic promise. It says, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to those who plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. But verse 7, from this point, just the next three or four verses. Well, I'll read it to the end. For the Lord God helps me. Boy, I hope you have that in your arsenal. Seriously, again, otherwise we're playing at church. 
And even in our worship this morning, like I said, it, you, you, have to, you have to stop and ask your, and, and do whatever it takes for your heart to be engaged in anything. And then one of the basics of prayer, isn't it, from the book of James, it says it's the earnest, what? Heartfelt prayer of a righteous man that avails much. Not the mind-learned prayer, but the heart-felt. And in every area, that's what God wants. Is my heart engaged in this thing? Sitting here looking at Lucy on the front row, you know, Lucy writing all these wonderful songs of the lyrics God gives her. And I'm sure, you know, anybody, when you, when you, you, you long, you want God to speak to you. And I'm sure that that's what she will do. She'll sit there and she, she'll wait until her heart is engaged. Again, I, I read it just in my devotions in the book of Psalms. I think, I think it was Psalm 53 or might have been 47. I can't remember. But again, where it says that, that as I mused, in other words, as I was meditating, it says, as I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. And my God, there's so much truth in that. You have to let, you have to wait on God and let that fire burn so that you might know what to speak. Because you do, your future is as good as your words. You know, you do speak your future. And you're, are, we're, we're called to speak life. But anyhow. For the Lord God helps me, therefore have I not been ashamed or confounded. And this is the phrase that I wanted to get to. Therefore have I set my face like flint. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. This is the determination that God's speaking to that has to be within us. You know what? I've set my face to this. I've made my decision to put my hand to this. I've asked God Almighty, Jesus Christ, His Son, the Holy Ghost, I've asked them to partner with me. Amen? I've asked them through prayer to come and partner with me in whatever my hand is doing, whatever it is, whether it's her writing, whether it's you praying, whether it's you writing a book, or you, or Sean and Michelle putting themselves to this new thing. You ask God to partner with you. And that is your faith. That is the strength in that you know that God is not a man that he should lie. He said he would be with you. And he will be with you. Because he'll never, you know, the promise is he'll never leave you. But again, somehow, some way, you and I have to wake up to that. That's not just something we quote. God is with me. And verse 8, God goes on to say, He is near who declares me in the right. Hallelujah. In other words, this is my partner. See, I, it's, I'm, persecution's going to come. Stuff's going to get in the way, especially when you take on the mantle of intercession. Like I said, you need to prepare for conflict. You, in intercession, you're one that's actually making the choice to stand in a place called a gap or a breach where other people don't want to stand because of the stuff that's breaking through in that breach. And to remind you again, that's why one of the definitions of the word pagah, which is a Hebrew word for intercession, it simply means to get in the way of. And what we're called to do often is get in the way of the devil. Hallelujah. We're, we get in the way of what he's trying to do. But you have to be fearless to do that. Because let me tell you, the devil makes a lot of noise. You hear me? He makes a whole lot of noise. That is really his only weapon. Remember, Jesus Christ defeated him at the cross of Calvary. 
You remember that. He is a defeated enemy. But he still has his mouth. And that's his major tool, his word, his talking. Even distraction. As I was praying this morning, the Lord, that Lord told me just that again. He said one of the major weapons of hell is distraction. To distract you, to keep you away. What is it will keep you out of God's heavenly purpose? There are so many things that will distract you. I mean, even from your daily devotion to God, your daily commitment to the things of God. It may be television. It may be books that you're not supposed to be reading right now because you've got 37 books about God that you've only read the first chapter of. You know what I mean by having that. We all have like that. We buy 4 million books, we read the first chapter, and then we go to the next book. You know, that happens all the time. Hallelujah. Right, Mike? Just say yes. Nod your head, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Hallelujah. But he is near who declares me in the right. Who will contend with me? Let us stand forth together. I love this attitude. You've got to have some attitude. That's the only reason I'm reading this. So I want you to catch this. God's got an attitude about being God. See, God thinks he's God. <laughs> you hear me? I mean, you know, God, we, when we, at some point we'll get into the truth about territorial spirits. But like old Dutch Sheets said all those years ago, let me tell you, God is the ultimate territorial spirit. You have to think on that. God is the ultimate territorial spirit. I mean, he is the spirit, hallelujah, over this entire planet. And we have to learn how to partner with him. We have to have an attitude. He is near who declares me in the right. In other words, shut up all condemnation. You will not condemn me. You will not back me off. God is right here. He's with me. To mess with me means you're going to have to mess with God. And you're going to have that as a confidence. That's, this is supposed to build a confidence on the inside of you. Not arrogance, but confidence. There's all the difference in the world between arrogance and confidence. This is supposed to be an inbuilt confidence that comes from the fact that you've actually stepped into something called real faith. I believe God, that it shall be even as it was spoken to me, like Paul said in the book of Acts. He is near who declares me in the right. Who will contend with me? Let us stand forth together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. For behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Behold, they will all wax old and be worn out as a garment, and the moth shall eat them up. Hallelujah. Who is among you who reverently fears the Lord, who obeys the voice of his servant, yet who wants? Now listen to this. See, this is heavy. This is what I'm trying to get at. Some of you people, and even some of you in this church, you tell me that you're born of God, but your face looks like you've been born of mud. Sorry. But I mean, there's no, well, let me just read it. Who is among you who reverently fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Yet he walks in darkness and deep trouble. And I love this phrase. He has no shining splendor in his heart. I love that. I am to have a shining splendor on the inside of me. Why? Because God is with me. Hallelujah. This is why I can attack some situations, but I have to have this always in my understanding that the joy of the Lord really is my strength. And hell's job is to kill my joy, is to steal anything that, that, but that would destroy or belittle my celebration of who God is and what God's done in me and the fact that I am in Christ. Anyhow, he said, who is, who is, it, who is it that says he knows God, in other words, who reverences God, and yet he's got no shiny splendor in his heart? He said, then let that man, let him rely, trust in and be confident in the name of the Lord and let him lean upon and be supported by his God. 
In other words, listen, you need to learn how to lean on him. Then this last verse says, Behold, listen to this phrasing in the Amplified. Behold all you enemies of your own selves who attempt to kindle your own fires and work out your own plans of salvation, who surround and gird yourself, with, listen to this, with momentary sparks and darts and firebrands that you, that you set aflame. Listen to this attitude. Walk by the light of your self-made fire and of the sparks that you've kindled for yourself, if you will. But this shall you have from my hand. You shall lie down in grief and in torment. That's ugly. Hallelujah. But do you hear what he's saying? So you got to hear what he's saying. Everybody can light their own little fire. And it'll be a little blaze for a while. I might give them a little something. But it will not give you that long-lasting something that only comes from really knowing that you put your hand to something that God is involved in. That has God's signature on it. God's signet ring is on you because you're involved in something he's doing. To go into this intercessory life, I, re- I want to say it again, you have to have a bit of an attitude about you. Because again, it's, it's knowing that you've been in a fight. If you've never been in a fight before, like a physical fist fight, like I said, I know people love it when you talk about stuff like this on a Sunday morning church service. Hallelujah, right? Like Ayana and Ayo used to get in fist fights all the time. In fact, Ayo was the champion of her block, as I understand. That's what I meant. That's right. I tell you, I was bad too when I was young. I could whip any girl on my block. I could. I, I, I was tough, but I want to tell you. Hallelujah. Anyhow, anybody that goes into a fight, I guarantee if you've never been in one before, there's a measure of fear there. But you know, you have to have, this is what I want to get to this more a little bit. You have to learn how to handle fear. Now, uh, I've got another PowerPoint here. If we can go ahead and let's put up the first one here. I just have some more quotes about this that I used to have in my curriculum here, and I want to read them. Listen to this from Dante Alighieri, this first one. This one always hit me. The hottest places in hell are reserved for those who in time of a great moral crisis maintain their neutrality. Think about that statement. And why am I reading these? Because what we're involved in right now needs more than involvement. As I said, it needs commitment. Do you hear me? There is great moral crisis throughout this earth. Again, that's what Sean and what's your wife's name again? No, Sean and Michelle are really endeavoring to be part of. They're making a decision. I'm going to do something about this. I don't want to sit back. Now, I know there's many in our fellowship, thank God, that have a similar attitude. They just have that attitude. I want to do something. I mean, Bobby and some of the stuff she does want to have you. But there's just this attitude. But listen to what this guy said. It just really struck me. The hottest places in hell are reserved for those who in time of a great moral crisis, they want to maintain their neutrality. I don't want to get involved. Edmund Burke, this is a classic one, of course. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Henry George said there's danger in reckless change, but there's greater danger in blind conservatism. In other words, yes, there's danger when you really step out to do something different. But there's greater danger in being so conservative that you never do anything. And of course, this next one, to me, I use it in the love walk a lot. This is by William Hague, not the William Hague of past office here in England. (laughs) The opposite of love is not hate. It is something much worse than that. Sorry, 
I got my leg in the wrong place. The opposite of love is not hate. It is something much worse than that. Listen to this. Hate with all its negation and emotion at least takes the others into account. But the opposite of love is something much cooler, more pallid, and really much more cruel. The opposite of love is indifference. Hallelujah. And see, what I'm trying to say is we can't afford to be indifferent. Amen? We have a job to do. Distraction. So anyhow, fear. Hell's going to use fear in any way you can. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 20. I think I've got this. Uh, yeah, the laws of war. Deuteronomy 20, the laws of war. The first few verses, then we're going to just go to another couple other ones. Listen to this. Again, this is from this. I've got it from the King James here. When you go, when thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and you see horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. Now let's stop right there. Let me share something with you that I know you know, but you don't know. Anything, if God, if God Almighty has actually asked you to do something, it's bigger than you. You have to be confident with that. In other words, and let me tell you this, if God's asked you to do something, the first thought normally for the person is, it's impossible for you to do it. The reason why that's important to understand is this, if you could do it without God, you'd get the credit for it. But God asks us to commit to things that only with his help we can actually achieve. Do you hear me? So all through scripture will say things like this. When you go out to battle and you see the enemy that has a whole lot, the enemy has a lot more resources than you do. And in most cases, that's the truth. That's the way something is. The enemy has all manner of greater resources than you do. But again, the first thing he says is, don't be afraid of that. And it's easy to nod our head about that. But when you really step out to do something, even like our desire to have our own building, thank God, you know, this city is, is full of empty buildings. This city is full of empty venues, and they sit empty for decades and yet I know not only like ourselves, but I know so many pastors that are friends of mine who have the same longing. Oh, God, we need a building. We're tired of renting a school hall. We're tired of this, that, and the other. And so in the natural, but for whatever reason, well, it's because of the spirit of lust in, over this city, and that's the major spirit over this city is lust. But the first time you hear lust, you think sex. But no, it it's means the lust. It's this lust for power. And greed, of course, is a huge thing over greater London. And again, it's understanding this coming in the opposite spirit thing true as well. This is why, again, it takes fearlessness because how do you battle? What do you defeat the spirit of greed with? What's the opposite? Generosity. You hear me? You come at it with generosity. And first and foremost, it's generosity of spirit. It's generosity of soul. It's being generous with the desire to help one another, much less finances. But yeah, money plays a huge part in it. And again, that's why, like one guy said way back in the end, he said, the problem with the church is we've left the topic of finances to the end. 
when we should have been talking about finances 150 years ago, if not earlier. I mean, really talking about them. Because again, if hell has the finances, I remember Brother Copeland many, many, many years ago sharing that he had a vision. God showed him, he called them satanic reservoirs. He said, if you can imagine like being up in the mountain, a huge reservoir, he said, they're just backed up to the hill with all this water. But he said, God just showed him that there was these satanic reservoirs of wealth. Just, I mean, just acres and acres and acre deep of, of finance, but it's been blocked up by the devil. It's like a, it's dammed up and it's held back. But he said again, and so many people say it, you hesitate to say it nowadays about, you know, the wealth of the wicked is later for the righteous. But he said, as we continue to pray, he said, it's only going to take heart. And this is what he said. He said, it's only going to take heartfelt intercession. But he said, it's going to have to be truly pointed. And it's going to have to have that explosive impact in it to begin to crack those downs. But it is happening and it is going to happen. There is going to be that impact where suddenly, you know, thank God for the suddenlies that are in the Bible. There will be a suddenly. And in Jesus' name, I'm going to see one of them. You know what I mean? I am. Where this thing will begin to break because people will not be afraid to talk about finances. And they'll begin to pray against this stuff and it will break and money will pour into the kingdom of God to resource all manner of activities. I mean, you know, tell me, if, if you're born again at all, when you drive down the street and you see some homeless, helpless people, you know, like I, I, Julie, I saw this guy the other day just walking in an absolute fog. You know what I mean? Just somebody totally lost. And like, you know, he was a young man and he just, my God, you know, all that, man. And you just, your heart longs to, find, to just have a place to actually be able to help these people. You know what I mean? We've all seen situations like that. Well, this is why, again, see, hell doesn't want you to have no money. Are you kidding me? Some of you would do the right stuff with it. You really would. Anyhow, I'm not talking about money, but this is what I mean. You have to have a fearlessness about you. And we do need some strong intercessors to pray about that issue, to give you creative ideas and what have you, to actually bust through that stuff and let the money of God begin to flow through you, through you, through you. Through you. That's what God's looking for. Somebody that is faithful enough that he can trust. And that's the whole point. And you've heard this said a million times too. Could God trust you with a billion pounds right now? You might smile and say yes. I'd be one of them that would smile and say yes. But something happens when a lot of money gets into your hand. I've had a lot of money in my hands a few times. Sadly, I got it from the wrong sources. <laughs> but I mean, it's a trip what you think you're going to do and what you actually wind up doing. But all of this truth, all these quotes, whatever, all I'm trying to get at is we need to find ourselves in a position. We need to know that when we go to war, the enemy's going to portray itself as having far more resources than we have. But God's word is always in those situations, don't be afraid. And let me just keep reading. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. Why? Here's this answer again. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be when you are come nigh unto the battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. Interesting. Not the general, like you see in the movies. The general is going to come up, ride back and forth on his stallion, you know, give them a, 
that incredible speech that causes them all to go, ah, let's go, let's kill somebody. <laughs> but he said, and it shall come, it shall be that when you come nigh into the battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and this he and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, you approach this day unto battle against your enemies. What's the first words again? Let not your hearts faint. Fear not, do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Hallelujah. But again, see, we just read that. But what he's saying is he understands humanity. He understands our frail flesh. When you go into something that, that, that is that much bigger than you, the first opportunity you'll have is anxiety, is fear. This is why, friends, you really do have to pray about stuff before you get involved in stuff. Is it stuff God wants me in? That all comes back down to that. You got to know, what's that old Western song? You got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. <laughs> you know, playing poker, you know what I mean? Cynthia will know that. Yes, I'm Cynthia. But you got to know what doors are God's. You got to know what doors aren't. And that's one of the things you need to pray every day of your life. We just talked about, it. in fact, this new Hebrew year that just began is called the year of the door. We've entered into something in Hebrewism that says the year of the door. Let me tell you something. God wants to open new doors for you. But he also, wants you, he also wants you to know what doors to say goodbye to. Don't touch that doorknob. <laughs> he wants you to know that too. But it is the year of the door. So anyhow, for the Lord God, he said, but, but anyhow, don't be afraid. And trust me, like I said, when it comes to this intercessory life, forgive me, but I have to keep going back over this stuff because I know what hits you when you begin to pray for somebody that's on the point of death, when God gives you an assignment. And the moment you begin to pray for them, they get worse. I've had that happen so many times, and I had a lot of lessons I had to learn. I often would almost, I'd give up. And I can't go into it all now, but you'd start to back off. I didn't understand that the moment you begin to pray for a situation, normally 95% of the time, you will get bad reports real quick. And God explained it to me. I couldn't figure it out until God began to show me, and then he showed me in Scripture places that, you know, that's what happens. Satan comes immediately to steal the word. He just does. He showed me this old thing about it. He said, you have to understand, if somebody, let's say an individual is lost or in total darkness and you really want to see their life changed, uh, and the example he gave me is very, very simple. But if you ever, again, I always say, if you ever been in a, like a pitch black room, I mean, and it, but it had within that room one of those old strings that you pull it and it turns the light on, and you know what I mean? But have you ever been in pitch black darkness? You know what I mean? I mean, pitch black. And he said, you have to understand, when you begin to pray, just like I said, like I pray a lot, in, in, in Psalms it says, the entrance of thy word brings light. When God's word, when you begin to pump God's word into a situation, it brings light. But he showed me this. He said, if somebody is in that room and it's absolutely pitch black, when that light goes on, what's the first thing he does? He actually, he notices, but the first thing he does, he looks away from it. Right? You look away from it because your eyes have to adjust. And he said, that's what happens when you begin to pray for people often. When that light first comes, they actually go the opposite direction. They turn aside. And he said, what happens with you is you'll stop praying. 
because you got a bad report. You have to learn to keep praying and keep that light coming in there until their eyes adjust, until they begin to comprehend what it is that you're putting into their atmosphere. Uh, I just said a whole lot more than you really understand, but I'm telling you, it's powerful stuff. And then go jump down to verse 8. And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house, lest, what? Lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. And this is an old teaching, but let me tell you, it's still very true. Fear is contagious. You hear me? Please tell me you hear me. Fear is contagious. When you actually go to war, this is again like when you study the SAS or these SEAL teams and all this stuff, like I said, these elite soldiers. You know, this is what they train, they train, they train, they train, they train, they train, quote unquote, emotion out of them so that they'll respond to training. They'll understand what to do before they think too much. Like this whole close, close quarter situation they do when they go into buildings and make sure they're eliminating the bad guy and not the good guy. They go, they do, they go through this over and over and over again. But the point I'm trying to get at is here is they don't want somebody, you don't want somebody next to you that's full of fear if you're really trying to champion something for Christ because that fear is contagious. It doesn't mean that they're not beautiful people doesn't mean that God doesn't love them incessantly, perfectly. But in particular battles, you need to really be aware of who you're going to battle with. Trust me. You really need to know. It's like the power of agreement, the whole truth about the prayer of agreement. You really need to understand what agreement is. It's not just a momentary, yeah, I will pray with you. No, agreement is when you somebody actually knows your heart, they know how you think, and they're actually able to release faith at the same level that you're able to release faith at. They're not just hurling some prayer up. They actually do, like it says in Matthew, they, their heart makes a symphony with your heart. There's a harmony between you. But he said, don't, if somebody's afraid, let them go home because lest their brethren's heart faint as well as their heart. And again, just have that in mind when you go into something. Fear is contagious. And so be aware. First of all, do your best to make sure there's no fear in you. Again, I, I can't do that. Only God can do that. But God's answer to fear is always the same thing. His answer is this. Behold, I am with you. That's supposed to shake us up a little bit and make us believe that possibly I'm going to be okay. Like Julie's talking about your future self and in your future, it is true when you realize, you know, God's got everything in your hand. He's, I, I think I'm going to write a song. I've already got some lyrics. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. I think that'll be a good song. You think it'll be good lyrics, right? Hallelujah. I think I should write that. Right, Ayana? Good song. Good stuff. Hallelujah. Now, do, so the question is, when you go to battle, do not fear. The issue is not how big the enemy is, but the issue is who is with you. When, you, when we comprehend that God Almighty by His Spirit has come to dwell in us and that He that is within us is greater than He that's in the world, we'll see that there's no reason to give place to fear. And that's what the Bible says, give no place to Satan. 
you have to offer up. You have to give place. You have to make available something for him to access. God's saying, that's silly, don't do it. Now look at Isaiah 54. These are very familiar verses. Well, Isaiah 54, verses 14 through 17. I don't know if I got them up there. No, I do. Okay. We'll know this. This is King James as well. In righteousness. See, I'd just stop right there and preach for the next year. This whole revelation, the truth about having right standing with God. I have right standing with God. I have right standing with God. I am in right standing with God. Hello. Just so everybody knows, I have right standing with God. I am in right standing with God right now. And is it because I'm so perfect? Julie, I'm perfect, right? Close. That's because she loves me. No, but you know what I'm trying to say? I have right standing with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because he sees me. Remember what I said last week and the week before? When I come walking to him, he sees me in Jesus Christ. He actually sees Jesus first. I'm in his son, and his son is in me. So he's not going to reject me, because he can't reject me without rejecting Jesus, and he will never reject Jesus. So in righteousness, this is what's going to cause you, like it says in Psalms, my heart is fixed, my heart is established, I will not fear. My heart is fixed, my heart is established. He said, in righteousness shalt thou be established, thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear so what's the simple equation there? Where does oppression come from? Fear. I'm not trying to trick you. Just read the, read the word. You shall be far from oppression because you shall not fear. Do you hear me? So this is why you know when you're working with somebody, counseling with a situation, as they're going to be dealing with young women or what have you, there's all manner of oppression, but ultimately at the seat and the root of all oppression is fear. So we have to identify that and we have to kill it. We have to kill fear. What casts out fear? Perfect love. In righteousness shalt thou be established, thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, listen to what God says, they shall surely gather together. And he said, this stuff is going to come. But he said, it's not by me. In other words, it's not, God's not bringing it. Whosoever shall gather together against you shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I've created the smith that blows the coals in the fire. I'm the one that brought forth an instrument for his work. And I was the one that created the waster that says to destroy, but this is where you need a lexicon. It actually says the waster that destroys. He said no weapon, but he said, in other words, what he's saying is this. I'm the one that created him. He wasn't like that when I first created him. But what God is saying is, I created him, I can handle him. Hallelujah. That's what you have to catch. God said it. But that's when then it comes to this incredible verse that we all love. He says, don't worry about it because no weapon. Everybody say no weapon. No weapon. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. You know why? Because this is the heritage. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. That their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Their righteousness is of me. No worries. 
Now, this next verse, this is how you feel a lot of the time. This is 1 Kings chapter 20. This is when all of Israel is coming up against Syria. And I just got this one verse here, but I love this. The Israelites were counted and all present went against them. The Israelites encamped before the enemy like two little flocks of lost kids. Absolutely everything against them, but Almighty God. And but the Syrians filled the country. I'm just I like that verse because it's it's pictured to me a place, like I said, I felt many times when you look at how big the enemy is, and you look at your resources, and you know, you got like you're looking at an enemy that looks like fifteen thousand ferocious wolves, and you look at your group and you got like three lambs. You know what I mean? And you look at the thing and you go, uh, this doesn't look very good. But they had this something in them. And if you went on to read the whole chapter and see the explanation, but he says that absolutely everything against them, but Almighty God. And see, that's the thing that you got to catch. Please, I don't care how often I go through this, you got to catch this. God is with you. He's with you to deliver you. He's with you to save you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't go afraid. Now, and the next one is just Gideon's army, Judges 7. We all know the story, but in Judges 7, verse 3, when God, you know, spoke to him, the angel of the Lord found him, you know, as he was uh, in the wine press, uh, treading out stuff, he was actually hiding. He said, now go, therefore, excuse me, now, therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000 people. Now, you remember prior to that, you know, God, he speaks to him, and he says, Go in this, hello, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon kind of looked around and said, Who are you talking to? Because he didn't see any mighty man of valor. But God saw something else that was there. God always sees the capacity that's within you. Man, help us see that. God always sees what's actually in you. And like I said before, he'll always speak to the good on the inside of you because whatever you speak to, I'm going to repeat myself over and over again, whatever you speak to in a person is what will rise up in a person. This is why you bring encouragement. This is why you cause, you do your best to birth expectancy in people's lives. This is why you give them good news. You don't, you don't talk about their sin for 14 weeks. You hear me? It's the goodness of God that brings repentance. So you begin to demonstrate that. But here, so Gideon gets his army of 32,000 people together. And he thinks, well, I've got a little bit going for me. I've got 32,000 people. But then it's not big enough for the foes that was against him. But God says, go ahead and do this, though. He said, as many as are fearful, send them home. Can you imagine you're a leader and you're sitting here, I got 32,000, okay, I, man, I feel okay, 32,000. All you that are fearful, if you, you know, you don't, we don't need you to go to the battle if you're fearful. So as many of you as that are fearful, please go home. And you've got a good intent and you're hoping, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 people will leave and 22,000 people say, I love you, Gideon, but see ya, wouldn't want to be ya, you know what I mean? Don't want to be around. 22,000. Then there's 10,000. Of course, you know the rest of the story. God then tells them, go down when they get to the water. As many as drink, lap water like a dog, let me know. And as many as don't. And only 300. He went into this battle with just 300 people. Because God's big message to us, again, is 
is not how much you have with you. It's always who you have with you. And see, you've got to say that over and over again. And this, this is what you have to have. Forgive me for being so repetitive, but it has to be something so deeply within you when you go to battle in any shape or form, particularly, like I said, when it goes into actual intercession where you actually take hold of a thing and give it the good God no rest until the job is done. Now, I've got some other quotes here, and I'm actually going to finish here, but I say praise God. I'm doing good. It's only one minute to one. Hallelujah. Somebody say miracles happen. I love this this quote, Nikolai Burdenev, fear is never a good counselor, and victory over fear is the first spiritual duty of man. Victory over fear is the first spiritual duty of man. But Napoleon's, I just love his quote. Listen to this. This is, I get, I get a picture in my spirit when I read this. When a man won't fear, he drives the fear into the heart of his enemy. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. (laughs) When a man won't fear, he drives the fear into the heart of his enemies. Excuse me, but I like that. Now, everybody is to join the battle in some form or another. This is what I said in the very beginning. I've got three more passages of scripture. I'm just going to read out to you. I'm just going to read one verse. Amos 6.1. This should be on there as well. Next slide. Everybody needs to be involved. Amos 6.1 says, Woe to them. God said, Woe to them that are in ease in Zion. See, you're in Zion. That means you that are in, in the house of God. Then he said, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. Again, you don't have to read that whole chapter in context. But what he's speaking to is, again, a whole group of people who said, I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to be involved. I'll let somebody else do it. I don't need to be involved with this. Actually, it will upset my convenience. My life right now is comfortable. Everything's cool. I don't want to mess it up. Well, that's okay for a season. You hear me? That can be okay for a season because God wants you to learn to experience and to embrace rest, real rest. But I think I said it last week. But it's like worship. You can be very selfish if you're not careful. Sometimes in worship, I can get to a place where nothing but nothing else on the planet, it's literally like I have escaped the planet Earth. When I'm all by myself, I can get into something, I can hear a particular song, a particular phrase, a particular, just a, a piano piece work will go on, and I am just lifted and I'm lost in a place where I never, ever, ever want to leave that because it is so incredible, the depth of what actual worship, you know, the kissing of the Lord, the set and the other, like Steve Dittmar who kissed me at Chosen, which he never should have done. Never mind, somebody just erase that. Because I was was telling what worship meant, how the word worship means to kiss, remember. But you can get lost in worship, but the Lord rebuked me once all those years ago. He said, listen, he said, I want you to come here, and I want you to linger here. I want you to learn how to linger. It's another phrase he always gave me that I loved. I love the word linger. He said, I want you to learn how to linger here in my presence. But he said, I don't want you to stay here. I want you to take this with you, come out of here, and go make a difference. Make a difference with this stuff. And that's what's happening here. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. That all they do, they just want to kick back. Numbers 32. And again, 
I should read everything from verse 6 through 19, but just verse, I think it's 19 here. Well, just this one. It says, And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall you sit here? This is when all the tribes, see, when Reuben and Gad had cattle, and on one side of the Jordan, when they were getting ready to go in and defeat all the enemies of God there, one side of Jordan was really good for cattle. And the tribe of Gad said, um, this place is a great place for cattle. You know us, our servants, Moses, we have cattle. This is a good place for us. We will stay here and you go on to the other side and deal with all of that. And Moses came back and said this, show your brethren go to war and you stay here. In other words, listen, you're not, you shouldn't really learn to appreciate your stuff until you've helped your brother get his stuff. We don't like that, I know. But he said, and you know what Reuben and Gad wind up saying, they said, Lord, we will go armed across the river. We will go armed and we will fight with our brothers until they win their land. And then once they, they win their land, we shall return and have our land. And that's when then Moses said after that, it's really amazing, the whole principle of conscientious objection. That's when God said after that, he said, if you do this, if you will do this and you'll come back, and, you know, if you'll come over here and fight with your brethren, then you can go back. And he said, there'll be no, no, uh, be no sin against you. I forget what it's worded like. But it brings up that principle of conscientious objection. See, that's not a godly thing. I'm sorry. It isn't. In other words, I don't want to fight because it really doesn't concern me or I'm against this stuff. But like I said, the great, you know, like that quote from that guy, the the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who in a time of moral crisis want to maintain their neutrality. Enjoy church. Enjoy your Christian experience. Enjoy the fellowship with Almighty God. But at some point, if you hang around God long long enough, He will put a call on you. He will ask you to do more. And like I said, he'll ask you to do more than just be involved in anything. He wants, he want, he wants to see commitment. And who's here? In other words, he'll say this. Who is here for the long haul? Who's here for the long haul? And that's what we have to ask yourself. I mean, anything. People that want to join the worship team. Sometimes, I mean, you know, our, we're just having to strip down worship now where we have very few of the worship team. We don't have the whole worship team. But still, boy, they did a great job. I mean, Emmanuel, you rock, man. You really did a great job. But, you know, we want people that want more than just involvement. Because there are people in every church, like when it comes to worship team, that simply want to be up there so they can be seen. And that's a sad truth, but it is. I haven't really ever seen that here, I have to admit. I haven't seen it here. We have some blessed people. We really do. But I remember, like I said, when I was in prison ministry all that time, all the time, there are people that wanted to go with us to go visit, to go when we ministered to prisoners. But in reality, most of them just wanted to go see the monkeys, like a zoo. They wanted to, they wanted to have the experience of going to a prison. And, you know, they wanted to put something on the newsletter. I visited a prison and da, 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 da. But see, the only thing that ministers to convicts is consistency. 
when they see the same people coming over and over again, they want to see that somebody actually cares. But see, that's what God looks for. That's all I'm trying to say. The commitment, the long haul. But Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war and you sit here? No, we will arise. I said, we will arise and we will work and we will help everybody. We will help our brothers and our sisters. We won't just relax because we have ours. That's what Reuben and Gad were saying. I've got mine. That's all that matters. That's not Christ-like. No. Particularly if you have yours, you help others get theirs. The next verse, last verse, similar. Joshua 18.3, Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are you slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Man, what a powerful scripture. God's given us all these promises. And what God is saying, are you going to sit around for the rest of your life and never press in to make these promises yours? And hopefully our answer is no. We recognize the price Jesus Christ paid. And that's what it all comes down to. Everything today comes to the blood of Jesus. Do we recognize the price that was paid for us to have this incredible freedom and to have this incredible opportunity to, in some cases, when I remember I'm basically talking about the intercessory prayer life more than just normal prayer, just normal Christianity. But to really understand that I have the privilege of saving someone's life. Now, actually, like I said, that's not arrogance. That's just confidence. You actually find yourself in positions where you, God, you, listen, there, there are times when God will use you as an individual to get somebody saved. You know what I mean? Just that simple. And it makes you feel better than they do, doesn't it? If you ever led somebody to the Lord, you know it just, oh my God, I mean, you're the one that's thrilled. But even with that, you have to recognize, like I said, that some people, they, I don't know, I, I'm, actually I'm going to stop. I don't want to say anything else about that because I'll get in trouble. Jesus Christ is the one that won the battle. Now, I just threw some scriptures up here. I don't have time to go through these. Jesus Christ defeated the enemy for us. And this is what, again, what you have to have written upon your spirit when you go into this conflict, go into these battles. Colossians 2.15, I'm not going to read them. Revelation 1.18, Hebrews 2.14 and 15, Romans 8.35 and 39. Please make a note of them if you would. Have a look at them. They're, they're an entire Sunday service by themselves to say the least. But Jesus Christ has won the battle for us. You hear me? And like was said this morning, we're called to celebrate that victory. But again, the issue of prayer is this. Remember in the very beginning of what I started teaching? That we do have an enemy who was called, Jesus called him a thief. Remember? Remember this illustration I gave back then? How many of you know the burglaries against the law? Right? In London? And so some people say, well, Christ defeated the devil, so there's no more work for us to do. We just get to celebrate and do nothing the rest of our life and praise God. Because Satan's been defeated. In other words, in, in good, you know, in Jesus, he took the law, broke it in pieces so that we don't have to live by the law. But the point is, people today say there's no such thing as spiritual warfare. 
because Jesus Christ defeated the enemy for us. But again, that's why it's the simplest of all things. Well, it's against the law for people to rob people. It's against the law to commit burglary. But I ask you the question, Ian, are there any burglars in London? And the answer is yeah. So what we're trying to get at is this. Yes, Christ has won the victory, but we have to enforce it. Remember, we have to continually enforce the law. We have to enforce the good news. We have to tell the devil no. We have to get in the way of what he wants to do and say no to it. Amen. We must be persuaded of Christ's victory over the dominion of hell and of our position with him at the right hand of God. We must be able to say no fear here. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday.